host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hanging in there, you know, waiting for the season to wrap up, basically. Oh, well, that's a glass half empty approach. I think waiting for the playoffs well, to start is the glass yeah. half old way to say it. Well, here's the problem, right? Start on Monday. It's currently Thursday. That feels mm-hmm. like it's a long time from now, you know? I don't yes. like those two days off. I get it, but I don't like it. Yeah, but those of us, you should know this, in the uh, in the content preview game, or the preview content game, mm-hmm. I should say, benefit yeah. from that. I need a few days to, to get my previews sure. ready, you know? I get it. Um, okay, here's the plan for today. We're gonna we got some great listener questions from our faithful listeners, but first we have to do a bit of a eulogy for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, whose disastrous season was finally put to an end yesterday, and I think mercifully so. As uh, you know, and, and I don't know how you view this, but I think as shameful as like missing the playoffs the way they did and ending this, you know, 16 year streak or whatever they had in the fashion they did, which was like losing at home to the 32nd ranked Chicago Blackhawks playing on a second Unreal. of a back-to-back having like Buddy Robinson of all people just stick the final dagger in your year. Um, it might be a better alternative than getting dog walked by the Bruins for four games. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, anytime there's like a juggernaut team like this now, I will forever think of the Daryl Sutter quote. seems like a waste of eight days. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's talking about playing the abs last year, he's like, we're going to get whoever gets that eight spot. It's going to get destroyed. What are we talking about? And it, it feels like the same thing with the Penguins for sure. Well, speaking of Sutter, I mean, the Flames and Penguins were, for my money, the two most disappointing teams this season. And yep. both essentially had their years ended at home by the Chicago Blackhawks within like a week <laughs> of each other. Yeah. There's something just so poetic about that. Um, Very funny. Okay. So when things go this wrong, and and certainly they did in Pittsburgh this year, as we just said, there's a lot of blame to go around, right? I think it's like kind of like a sign of organizational failure of or rot, like from the top down, ownership, management, coaching, players. No one's blameless in it. Who do you think in this case gets the most of the blame for for the Penguins falling short of of even making the playoffs for the first time in, in 16 years? Do, do you not have to say Ron Hextall? I mean, look, it's tough, right? Because he wasn't the guy who said we got to resign Malkin and Latang, first of all, right? Like, th- that seemed like it was a management above or like ownership or whatever, um, slash Sidney Crosby decision. Mm-hmm. As, as a, so, like, not that those guys were the problem this year by any stretch of the imagination, but they sure did cost a lot. And, you know, the, they, they're they now suffering a little bit from what ailed the, the Penguins in the early 2010s, which is that they don't have anybody who can play well when those uh, three guys are off the ice, basically. Yeah, I mean, I have no issue with, with the direction they chose this summer and it's sure. just like when you have like legends that mean this much to your organization that are still playing at this high of a level, like I'm, I'm fine with it. And if you look like Crosby was eighth in the league and even strength points, Malkin was over a point a game. Sure. Those guys certainly were not the problem by any means. Right. It's, it's funny you, you that you bring up the, those like 2010s versions. I think of like the last year 
under Bilesma and, and Shiro, right? I think it was like 2013, 14. And you look at yeah. like the list of players they played, even on their on in the top six wings, but especially the bottom six and some of the deaf players and role players they had. It was just like, how is this the best you could do? Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you look at that year, Crosby and Malkin were accounting for like 27% of their cap or something. Right. Um, whereas this year, they make less than 15 million combined. They were a great value combined for for what the Penguins were paying them. So Crosby there's really no excuse, right? It's like you have enough money to build out a competent enough team considering the level these guys are playing at to at least be one of the best eight eight Eastern Conference teams. I just, well, I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, if you if you look at like, the, the Penguins cap structure, there's a bunch of guys where you're like, that guy's making that much money, you know? Um, like Jason Zucker, five and a half million bucks. But he was good this Michael. year. Yeah, but like, is, is he a five and a half million dollar player? You know? Um, and, and and like the, the Petrie trade, obviously yes. not so good. Uh, I don't know what happened to Brian Dumoulin. I mean... They're ready to run that guy out of town on a rail, and he's a pending UFA. So I mean, he was atrocious this year. I I, I, I know that's what I'm en- saying. I cannot stress enough. Like buyer beware on whoever talks themselves into signing him this summer. Like good good luck with that. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Here's the thing for me. Like on the one, like I I, I do think it is a a Hextall slash Burke problem because they inherited a group that had much better players, and then through a series of moves, they like actively just made their team worse every step mm-hmm. of the way. Right. Like the McCann, Tanev, Evan Rodriguez, like all these guys who would have been brilliant bottom six players, third liners for them this year, which is exactly what they needed. They were like happy to just let them walk out the door. And then they brought in significantly worse options and then paid those guys. Right. And then, yep. I mean, this, this deadline was the final nail in the coffin, in my opinion, for Hexall, cool. where it's like, you finally rid yourself of some of these self-inflicted errors, right? Like you get someone to take on Brock McGinn's deal. You you get Kasperi Kapanen claimed and, and shed his entire salary, which you paid for just this past summer. And then you turn around and just devote that to Michael Granlund, who gave them one goal and five points in 20 games. And, and look about horrible as, doing as, it About too, as yeah. listless a performance as you're ever going to see. Like he, yeah. he may as well have not even showed up in Pittsburgh at the deadline. Yeah. Sign for two more years, by the way. Like to actively go out and get that player. The, and this is this is the classic thing of like ask any ask any hockey writer, oh, should I trade for Michael Granlin? And uh, you know, if they're paying any attention at all, they're gonna be like, No, what? It's not that hard. Like, I don't this this is what you know what we talk about when we talk about like uh the 200 hockey men, you know, like they just he must have made a decision that Michael Granlin was good like four years ago and never checked back in. There, there's no other explanation for that transaction. Well, and that's and it's they not cleared, even they cleared cap space to get him. Yeah, insane. And then gave up a second round pick to take on his contract. Yeah. Like if anything, yeah. it would have been like the pet predators give you a second to to clear five million dollars in commitments in the next two years. I don't. You would have thought it's not an analytics thing, right? This is like anyone that's watched hockey. I, I, Watch I, a is, game. Yeah, is it like a pro scouting? flaw because I doubt that Ron Hextall himself was tuning into Predators games to check out how Michael Granlin was looking. I'm sure there's people that work below him that were giving him advice to do so. Yeah. I don't know. Did, did you just go rogue all of a sudden? It was like, you know what? I've always wanted to acquire Michael Granlin. Maybe. Who knows? I Maybe. don't know how much autonomy yeah. he had there, but I 
that, that that's that's the problem for me here, and and that's why I I push back. I've seen people also blame Mike Sullivan, right? It's been years since this Penguins team has come through in big moments and and all this stuff, and they keep losing to teams that they should theoretically beat. And I do have a bit of time for that argument because it's like, yes, they've they've certainly lost along the way to teams that you would have thought they would have been favorites against. At the same time, all of these names we're talking about, Granlin, like oh, every player they've brought in their bottom six is not a Mike Sullivan player. And so that mm. makes me think that there has been some sort of growing divide between management and coaching where I just refuse to believe that these are guys that Michael Sullivan was like, I really want to have this guy because I feel like I can use him. Like Michael Granlin hasn't forechecked in years. And, and that's a that's <laughs> yeah. a staple of a Mike Sullivan system. So I just I there's a massive disconnect there. And so I'm curious what's going to happen there because it certainly seems like Hextall and Burke will be gone. I mean, Frank Saravelli put out a piece today. And, and when the when the knives come out like that, like he was not holding back at all in terms of like yeah. some of the stuff he was saying about like Hextall's whiffs along the way and then noting his seven-year NHL GM track record and like pulling out all of these stats. That's a that's a clear indication that it's a matter of time here, right? It's like over. He, he's, yeah. not, he's not doing that for someone who's going to be giving him intel at this summer in terms of what he's going to do with his Penguins team. So right. um, that's clear and and I'm fine with that. And so I, I do think if they're going to go that route, they're probably going to keep Mike Sullivan because they just gave him an extension. And it seems like if you bring in a GM who's more in line with a the coach, there's probably something to do there as opposed to if you just, if you decide to clear house completely and get rid of Mike Sullivan, I don't think he's going to go a single day without a job. Like I can think yeah. of three or four teams that should be immediately calling him. So I'm kind of curious to see how that develops as well. Yeah, I, and the thing, like you say, they signed him to an extension. Yeah, it kicks in after next season. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to can the coach and then pay him for four years, you know, or like do the buyout of four years of, of contract, basically. So, like, if it's a disconnect with uh, with the coach and, and, and Hextall, you know that 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 speaks to the the Kapanen thing too, where it's like, well, we just signed this guy. Uh, turns out I, I don't like what he's given me, you know. And it's like, how do you, how do you make that decision or make that mistake? Like, how do, how does how do things change so much in the course of five months or whatever, you know? Yeah, I I was thinking the Flames would be a very good landing spot for Mike Sullivan if he oh, were. Yeah let go right that seems mm -hmm. like personnel wise there's a lot of players there that i think would thrive like he totally. would love andrew manjapani um and so i'd be curious about that because it does seem like daryl sutter also will almost certainly has coached his last calgary flames game right if he gets bumped into the front office or something that's an entirely different conversation but i find it hard to believe that he will be coaching the flames next year based on like the amount of not only questionable decision making but like discontent that we've heard reported from key like players on his team. Discontent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And when it reaches that point, it's like, that's probably the the last straw. So I don't know. I, I think that would be a good fit, but yeah, I mean, we got a question in the mailbag of like what you would do if you were running, if you got handed the car keys basically to the penguins, right. And you were their next GM. Um, yeah. Ironically enough, the first move is almost certainly buying out Michael Granlund after yeah, totally. Games, but it's like you save four million against the cap next year, and then three the year after. I think it's a no brainer because no one's taking that contract. So there's that, and then it's just like begging Jeff Carter to retire because yeah, that's yeah, you cannot be paying him three point one two five million next year. So I think those are kind of the first two moves. But then 
after that, like there's clear, you have some cap space, right? You'd have like 25. They have or like so 20 million. million yeah. Something, and then I if you'd made those and two then, moves, certainly. And then yeah. the two moves. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you do that, you need a new goalie, right? Um, you need to replace Jason Zucker, who was good. Even if you think he was a bit overpaid in the top six wing, probably had a defenseman and then just like entirely replace your bottom six, like bring in six new players essentially. Um, yeah. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I still think you, push all in the next couple of years. Like I, I would, have be, I would be trading my first round picks. They should not own any more draft capital for these next couple of years because every decision they've made so far is, all right, we're going to try to maximize this window of Crosby and Malkin. And that was the biggest failure by this regime not doing so this year. Yeah, totally. Like that. And that's, that's the thing I was saying earlier about like, there was no way they were ever going to let uh, Malkin and Latang walk or even one of them walk. Because Crosby's like, you're competing with my friends from work the entire rest of my contract. Whatever happens after that, that you know, that can be a different conversation. But he's got two years left, and they were always going to have to sign those guys to be at least vaguely competitive. I want, you know, th- this is the classic thing. You'd never get a straight answer, but like if you if you could give them truth serum or whatever and say like, what do you think happens next year? I, I really wonder what Crosby has to say about that, you know, mm-hmm. but um, they're a, a, a team kind of like the Calgary flames in that the state of the roster right now kind of dictates, you know, the rebuild doesn't start anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think those guys are playing at too high of a level to, seriously yeah consider that um no for sure our pal adam gretz put together a list on twitter i'd highly recommend going on his twitter feed and checking it out of every acquisition ron hextall's made in his seven years running the flyers and penguins both via signing and trade and like the ricard raquel one last traded line was legitimately good i was i was a bit worried at the time in terms of how much he had left in the tank and he was phenomenal for them this year pretty much the only player you could argue was like a good player and everyone else was what you'd expect. And the lack of, this is what we talk about, right? The lack of um, ambition and creativity just reeks of every one of those moves. And so I guess if you're coming in and being the Penguins GM, I guess just having a little bit of innovation would go a long way in this case. So that's that's what I would for try sure. to strive for um, more so than anything. Yeah, no, totally. It's, um, you know, when they hired him, I was like, the, the guy that built the Flyers, you know, because like, here's the thing. Okay. Obviously the Flyers stink this year. Right. But if you're Hextall, what you point to of like what I had success with is he drafted a lot of guys who were supposed to be the future of the Flyers. Maybe they didn't all work out and that you can say that it's a development thing or a coaching thing or whatever. But like he drafted a lot of guys that two years ago, everybody was like, oh, he should be a good NHL player for for quite a while, you know? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to do that if you're the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins? Like, they were they were not in the same spot as the Flyers were. You know, like, they didn't have the kind of, we need to draft a bunch of guys who are going to be good in the league in three years, you know? They've been in going-for-it mode since 20. 20- 13 let's say you know like we gotta we gotta really sit down and figure this out and so for like a decade they've been trying to win the stanley cup and not worried at all about first round picks really 
you know? And so you don't bring in Hextall, a guy whose only thing he did well was draft guys pretty well, you know? It, it, I felt like this was always going to be a disaster. And then obviously like Brian Burke being the guy at the top of the pyramid was like, Oh, what year, what year is this? Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like exemplified by like when they acquired Jeff Carter, he actually played well for them right after acquisition, but then like yeah, bit, down yeah, on it and rewarding him with a two year deal, which now they're paying, which now they're suffering for is like the classic of like, this is where it could go wrong. I don't know. I guess are the biggest losers here, like the flyers, because in this entire conversation, I was thinking it's like, all right, their last two GMs were Chuck Fletcher and Rod Hextall, like two of the most in over their head GMs that I can remember other than I guess Absolutely. Jim Benning from the past, like 10 years of NHL hockey. I guess we should throw in a um, Paul Fenton as well, but yeah, it's like a, a, <laughs> sure. short, a short list of guys that just like were so ill-equipped to handle the responsibilities totally. of that job and being given the car keys to important NHL organizations. Yeah. So not ideal. All right. Um, anything else on the penguins or do you want to move on to some of the uh, listener questions we got? Let's, let's do the questions. All right. Kevin here asked a fun one. What would your plan be for next year for Sabres goalies and Devin Levi? So you're, uh, you're pretty familiar with Levi having covered I college am. hockey recently. Um, I guess so. How aggressive would you be? Is is the question here, right? Because the Sabers this year were unequivocally it was a, a home run season for them. They fell short of the playoffs, but they were playing meaningful, competitive games with the season on the line. Well into April, uh, they just recently got eliminated. They were the most fun team in the league to watch for a significant part of the season. All sure. their players pretty much should theoretically at least be this good or better moving forward. They have a ton of cap flexibility. They have significant draft capital. They also have one of, if not the best prospect pools in the league because they've drafted so many guys high in the draft the past couple of years. So there's an influx of even more talent coming here. How aggressive do you go now? Because I do think next year, like this is the 12th straight year they missed the postseason. There should not be a 13th. Like next year, you go from yeah, being it like would a be fun a failure, story. For sure. You go from being a fun story to like legitimately competing, not for a playoff spot, but maybe not a Stanley cup, but like being one of the better teams in the league, I, I think it's pretty clear that should be the goal. Now, obviously you don't want to sacrifice the future to do so, but I do think that should be what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I'm trying to think who's like a good um, UFA goalie because like a veteran guy, obviously, because, um, you know, I, I said this in an article I wrote this week, like you don't enter the season if you're the Sabres, with your goaltending tandem being Craig Anderson and, and uh, Eric Comrie, and like and you're like, and we'll miss the playoff by a couple of points, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're you're fully invested in. We're not going to be all that close, and and the team played well enough to to at least get you there. Um, but you know, when's the last time a rookie goalie got a team into the playoffs? And as you said, wasn't just like. Oh yeah, they kind of got in a little bit, you know. Like when was the last time a rookie goalie and a rookie goalie who, by the way, is under six feet tall, um, did that? It, it does. It just doesn't happen in, in the modern NHL. And so I think you need kind of a like a one A one B situation. Even like I, I really believe Devin Levi can be a legitimate NHL goaltender, mm -hmm. um, but. You know, you you need a one A one B situation, and so like, 
am I depending on you know what what he's looking for? Am I thinking about an Ilya Samsonov or, or Anti Ronta or like Freddie? And now I'm just naming guys no. on the Hurricanes, I guess. But <laughs> I'm 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 being more aggressive than that. I've given okay. this a lot of thought. Um, Craig Anderson is going to retire, right? Yep. I would trade it Ugo Pekalukunen because whatever you can get for him, because I believe next year he can't be sent down to waivers. You don't want to have three goalies on your roster the way they had this year. And for sure, um, I don't think he can be the backup, right? Especially if your starter is Levi. I think you can't be wasting yeah. valuable points if you're in the position they're in. So I would actually go on the trade market and. Well, first off, I would try to put together a significant godfather offer for UC Soros, who is 28, oh, sure. 28 years old, yeah. has two years left at $5 million. The Predators will see how aggressively they're going to rebuild. Like They certainly were massive sellers at the deadline. Barry Trotz is coming in to take over the team. They have Yaroslav Askarov. I think they could probably be talked into it if you were willing to pay $0.110 cents in the dollar or whatever for them. Um, but the other one that I think is interesting... Carter Hart, who is that is 20, interesting. Twenty five, yeah. one year left at just under four million, and then he's an RFA for one year, I believe. Once again, if the Flyers are serious about tearing it down and trading everyone away and properly rebuilding for once, um, they should at least consider that. And I know he's still so young, right? That it's like it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. But if you're really going to be serious about it and do it properly, you have to at least consider it because the Sabres do have the resources to to make it worth your while. And so those are the types of goalies that the caliber of goalie that I'll be going for beyond like, oh, let's bring in Cam Talbot and maybe he can give us 30 good games. Like, I think you do need to aim a bit higher and I would be comfortable okay, having I, Levi play 30, 35 games for you next year. But the other guy needs to play like 50. Right. Yeah. So that, that my own, my only thing with that is I wonder what they promised Levi in terms of clearing the decks to get him X number of NHL starts. Like if it's 35 and, and you're going with Soros for the other 50 or whatever. Yeah. Then that, or what, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if it's like 50, 30 or whatever, like with Soros, if you can get Yossi Soros, who's like a top three or four goalie in the world, mm-hmm. then go, then obviously go get him. Sure. Um, I, like I said, I was just, I was just thinking more along the lines of um, if they kind of said like, we'll give you a crack at being like the actual day one starter. That obviously changes the math. That's all. Sure. But given where where the NHL is headed, like I think 40 games is, is fine. Like most goalies should not be playing significantly more than that. And there's going to be injuries as well. I I think, I I don't think Devin Levi would be very upset if it was like, Hey, we're bringing in UC Soros and he's going to play 47 games and you're going to play 35. I don't, right. if you're Devin Levi, you're going to be like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. If anything, you'd be like, wow, this is cool. Like I get to play, share the net with like the best undersized goalie in the league. This is an awesome. That's exactly right. Yeah. This is a phenomenal situation. We're going to like turn this short Kings in net brand into a thing, start selling t-shirts. It's going to be a whole I thing. That. Like I would well, love that. Yeah. That's, from a branding perspective, it's a no brainer. Um, so <laughs> I, I just, I, again, I just wonder if Nashville does it just because it's right. You know, he's so good. He's so good. Uh, and they've been very hesitant to give up on like the like, you know, big names in that franchise. You know, they're 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 nibbling around the edges of it a little bit. Maddie Eckholm and, and Victor Arvidsson, you know, mm-hmm. 
Whereas if you give up on sorrows, you're really saying to the locals, like, yeah, no, it's going to be rough for the next few years. As much as Askarov seems like he's going to be really good. And and beyond being one of the best three goalies in the world for years now, he's also like so fan friendly and marketable as well. Likeable. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, he is the face of the franchise now. It's like, as much as I love Philip Forsberg and Yossi, it's like, UC Soros has been the natural predators. And so if he's not on the team anymore, that's an entirely different landscape you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, But Askarov also, everything I've seen from him in the AHL, he seems like he's going to be a gem from a marketing perspective as well. So um, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to go about it, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I, I think, you know, the Sabres have have been very careful about like managing expectations here and sort of slow playing this, right? Like this deadline, their big move was bringing in Jordan Greenway, who the coach really likes, and they paid a second or whatever for it. It wasn't anything extreme. Um, but there is there does come a point where like you have a couple chances to really push your chips in and call your shot and go for a home run swing um, yeah. when you're in the position they're in. And so like timing those and nailing those is going to be key to turning this into like from a fun story that everyone's rooting for to becoming one of the preeminent franchises in the league. And I think that's within the realm of possibility. I don't want to get put the cart before the horse here and get carried away, but there's like so much to like about the current situation that totally. I want to see them maximize it. And, and I don't know, maybe trading for a goalie isn't the way to go about it because you and I both are, are pretty, pretty on, on the fence about like how much you can trust that and how much of a difference it can make. But I think Soros is one of the few guys that I'd be willing to to invest in. Um, yeah, like I said, top three or four, easy last few years. So if you if you're gonna trade for a goalie, that's the guy to get for sure. Yeah, you know. Okay, Ryan, let's uh let's take our break here, and then when we come back, we'll power through some other listener questions. Uh, so looking forward to that. You were listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Hockeypedia cast. Joined here by Ryan Lambert. We're doing some listener questions. Uh, RL, here's the first one from Pablo. Which team is ripe for an upset this postseason? So let's 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 go with it as like purely round one. Which favorite do you think, especially based on seeding, I guess, is is most likely to be to be upset by a team below them? Hmm. You want me to give you mine? I think there's yeah, one very, it. very, very obvious one. Yeah. Too obvious. It's so obvious that it, it scares me and makes me think that it's not gonna happen. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Since the Svechnikov injury, it's been a full month of hockey now. They are 8-8-1, eight, eight and one, and in that time, they are tied for 29th in goals per hour with the Anaheim Ducks. Only the Chicago Blackhawks and Nashville Predators are scoring goals less frequently than them now. They certainly have the defensive environment to win games, even when that's the case. But yep. if they're going to play a round one series against the New York Islanders, the shot totals in that in those games are going to be absolutely hilarious. They're going to be like 45 to 22 every game. Yeah. And people are going to be like, how is this happening? The Hurricanes are so unlucky. And the Islanders are going to win at least a couple of games in that series, if not potentially be there for an upset because that's it's just it's a horrible matchup 
from that perspective, uh, going up yeah. against Ilya Sorokin. And I've I'm so I've been so out on the Hurricanes this year because as you know, it's clear like this works in the regular season. They've won a ton of games. It's been a successful year for them. But I think we've seen the issues with playing the way they play in the playoffs. And I'm kind of done being surprised every year when that happens. And I'm yeah, so sure. I'm so vocally in on that that I feel like this is the year they're gonna finally break through because I'm like finally getting the stones to just like go in on that take. They're finished, but, yeah. Yeah, sure. because, because because even last year, right? I remember like you and I we had our, our uh, Jack Fraser on with us and we were doing like a preview and we we're talking and they won that series against the Bruins, but it was like, oh, like, you know, they, this, this team is really good. Like, look at all these underlying numbers that suggest that they're the best team in the league. And there's a flaw in, in offensively the way they play and against elite goaltenders, it's going to be an issue. Now if the Islanders have enough supporting talent to actually score enough goals themselves to win those games is a different conversation, but right. eventually they're going to run into a team that has a combination of a really good goalie and awesome skaters and it's going to happen. So I think they're, they're kind of my pick and it might be an obvious one, but that's the one I've got. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was all, I was going to say, um, not along similar lines, but certainly in, in the same, uh, in the same division, like New Jersey is a team, like the vibes are great, but they, they haven't been like unbelievable for the last several games, I would say. And also, you want to talk about a team where you're like, ooh, the goaltender could catch up with them. Like, that is the the number one concern I would have, especially if they draw the Rangers, where it's like, okay, now you have to outscore uh, uh, Shesurkin. Like, that's yep. it's going to be tough. And, you know, I don't know how much of an upset it is for, like, I guess it depends on where they fan, because obviously New Jersey could jump Carolina tonight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then... They draw whoever finishes first or ahead in the in the Islanders uh, Florida thing, but you know, like there, there's just a lot moving around in the in the Eastern Conference. Um, so I'll I'll go to the West, and I will say, as much I said on on Puck Soup uh, the other day, I think this is the team to beat in the Western Conference, and yet would I be shocked to see them go out in the first round if they have to play the Los Angeles Kings? The Edmonton oh, Oilers man. would be, would be, you know, I I just wouldn't be surprised if it happened. That's all. As good as they're playing, like I don't know that anybody's playing better than them lately, right? Yeah. Like they're yeah. so good in but, a very sustainable way to, for ones too. Right? Yep, totally. Yeah, and and it's not just since they got Eckholm, which obviously everybody's been talking about for a little while now. Like I, I the stat I saw the other day was they have eight regulation losses since Christmas break. Wow. You know, and like, but with, with that having been said in a seven game series against the Kings, I, I feel like that would almost be a bigger hurdle than whoever, like, you know, if they play Vegas, uh, or, or, you know, in in the second round of that, of that bracket, you know, so that's that's my answer, but it is contingent on them playing the Kings and not, uh, Seattle or whatever. Mm. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a brutal draw, and I, I, I think I could see that. Just and that's a vote of confidence on the Kings. That's not anything against the Oilers because I, I. That's I'm, exactly I'm with right, you, yeah. right. Like they've been playing phenomenally. They've basically, they've they've answered every question we've like ever had about them, right? Like their 100%. offensive stats are all significantly better. They're winning the minutes without 
Connor McDavid on the ice. Leon Dreisaitl's carrying his own line at five on five. Like every single thing when we've been like, well, this team's scoring a lot on the power play, but I don't know. These things worry me about them when they play a really good team in the playoffs. They're doing every single one of those things now. And yet it's going to be seven coin flips against the Kings. And and that the Kings are brutal. So good, man. That sucks. Yeah. They, and they play a very annoying style and they never take their foot off the gas pedal and there's going to be no easy minutes in that series. And so that's a brutal matchup. I, yep. I think like similar to what I said about Carolina, I'm very skeptical about Vegas. They're like almost a carbon copy sure. in the West because their defensive system has been really good under Bruce Cassidy. I'm still, we've seen them in the playoffs in the past and I haven't seen anything this year that makes me more confident that they can generate really good chances against good teams when they get into those games. And so if they're playing Winnipeg, I think they're the superior team, but against Connor Hellebuck, I could kind of see them tripping up in round one, even though they're going to be a heavy favorite in that series. So sure. um, that would be my pick as well. But yeah, I there, it's tough to think of beyond, I guess, whoever plays Boston, like that's going to be a massive. Uh, yeah, of course. That's going to be a massive betting spread in terms of them being a favorite for the most part. All these other ones should not be that divisive though, because or I guess they should be divisive because like you could really make a very reasonable case for either team in the series. Let me ask you this somewhat related to the to okay. the overall question here. Which team, if you're the Bruins, would you want to face less? Uh the Islanders or the Panthers? Um I did this yesterday with our pal Matt Porter. Oh, okay. I think I think I land on the Islanders because yeah, they have the goalie, right? No, I mean, I, I, I'd I be more okay playing the Islanders, I think. I'm, oh, okay. I don't know. Like, the the Panthers do scare me a little bit. I, I understand all the issues with that team, with the lack of depth, with some of the players they're relying on, with the goaltending situation, all that. But they do still have a significant amount of firepower. And sure they do. it would just, going up against Kachuk and Barkov and Verhage would just not, would give me a little bit of pause, right? Whereas mm-hmm. against the Islanders, they're, I kind of know what that series is going to look like. They're going to just dump it in every time. The the Bruins now, unlike two years ago, have the defensemen to beat that forecheck and get the puck out of the zone. And once they do so, I think their depth is just going to pummel the Islanders. So sure. I think they, I think the Islanders have fewer ways, I guess, to beat the Bruins or, or fewer uh, concerns for me. But I don't know. Neither one's certainly a pushover. Like I thought if it had been the Penguins, that would have been my, my preference because I think they certainly would have just destroyed them in four games but both of these teams at least give you a little bit of pause yeah uh, although i will what's your answer to that i think i think i'd rather play florida just because like uh, the boston bruins going up against alex lyon feels Mm -hmm. like it's a it's a it's a pretty uh it's certainly preferable to uh you know playing Ilya sorokin that's all yeah like sorokin sorokin is like the goalie in the league right now that I'd be like, oh, he'll steal a series. If any goalie's going to do it, it will be him. You know, so yeah. Well, it's now the UC Soros isn't making the playoffs. I, I think that, that would be, <laughs> that's exactly that would right. Be, that would be my pick as well. Um, okay, here's the next one then for you. I'm I'm pulling up the uh, the listener questions here. I mean, we got we got so many fun ones to choose from that. I, I, I want to pick wisely. Okay, which which uh easy chatter asks which playoff team from this year is least likely to make the playoffs next year? 
least likely. So I guess the pick would have to be between the Islanders and the Jets, right? I guess maybe you can make the case for the Kraken as well if you just want to. Say I was gonna. That. I was gonna say Seattle wouldn't be. You know, maybe at the the Jets is is a very interesting one just because so much could change this summer mm-hmm. um, with their roster, um, and they do still have obviously like one of the great goalies in the in the world, so that always is going to help you look better than you are as the Predators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Seattle, it's like boy, they really feel like they just had a shooting percentage here. And uh, and they, I'm not saying they didn't play well or whatever, but, but like they got to 100 points. I don't think anybody had that written down as a as a real possibility, right? So they they seem like a regression candidate. And then the Islanders, like, yeah, sure, but again, like they have the elite goalie who is always going to make them look better than they are. You know, um, let's put it this way: the Islanders finished with the same uh, uh, points percentage as the Calgary Flames. You know. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's, I think that's a bad thing. If you're talking about them in terms of, uh, you know, they, they, they got there, they got there with a great goalie, but I think for them, at least you would say, well, the goalie should still be great. And a full year of Bo Horvat and Matt bars all together should help as well. Right. That's all. But yeah, I, yeah, I, guess, I, I think those are the obvious three. You know, we're not trying to trick anybody with this one. You know, well, no, I guess you could make the question. Or you could you could make the point though, of like in the metro. So, assuming a competent GM comes into Pittsburgh, they're gonna be better next. Although, I guess you'd be betting against Crosby and Malkin's health, which is not the most unreasonable thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking, like them and the Capitals. It seems like neither of those teams are necessarily gonna willingly lay down next season right so the yeah. metro is going to be tough but it's true for every division the nhl's nhl's good right now like i, I know the, the bottom of it right some of the teams are at the bottom are a joke right now and i think a lot of that is just because Connor bedard is so special and this draft is so highly regarded but for the most part beyond arizona just because i think everyone is like skeptical that they're ever going to spend enough money as currently constituted to actually be a real nhl franchise yeah they're not so these teams at least have a path to to being exciting and having some good young players within the next having a Sabres style season yeah exactly yeah Yeah. although I guess the like the Blackhawks unless they get Bedard they just have torn it down so much that they just have like they're literally starting from the absolute bottom yeah it's gonna take them a while to build it up but even like Columbus if they get Bedard or Fintilli they've drafted a bunch of young defensemen that could conceivably come in and play next year like it wouldn't be that stunning to see them be competent like they were joke defensively this year yeah um, and so i'd expect them to be better next year um i don't know maybe i guess san jose is still so far away so i guess san jose and chicago are the two kind of exceptions here yeah i i, I thought we were just talking about the eastern conference no, no. it's like I, no I, anybody I, yeah, yeah anybody in the east basically like it wouldn't surprise me if they took a a, a de- maybe philly would surprise me a little bit if they took a decent sized step next season mm-hmm. but like you know, Detroit feels like they're a player three away. Ottawa, same thing. Obviously, we talked about Buffalo. Um, and even Montreal, like if they can get everybody healthy and, and you know, obviously stop tanking this next season, like that would, I, I you could see them having like the building blocks of something at least interesting, if not actually good. Yeah, so, I agree with that. 
Yeah, Jacob Underwood asks, why do you think league save percentage is down from 915 to 904? I think that's a less interesting part of this question. The more interesting part is, or I guess he said over the last decade, and should we true value truly elite goalies more than we do? That the last part is an important part of that question for me because I think the answer is sure. yes. Yeah, I mean, I think again, like I, I've I've said it a few times now. There are there are just like a handful of guys who are like clearly this guy's gonna be like a 920 something goalie in a league where the save percentage keeps going down, 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 right? Like Soros, Hellebuck, Sorokin, Shesterkin are probably like the four guys. Is there anybody I'm missing that's like, oh no, that guy's like a a layup to be one of the five or six best goalies in the league every year? Hellebuck, Shesterkin, Sorokin, Soros. Sorokin and Soros, yeah. Yeah, uh, Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky, um, sure. Yep, yeah, of course. I would add, I, I would add, Ottinger to that list. Uh, it's been such a short looks like it's time, trending in that direction yeah, for sure. Yeah. He hasn't shown us anything, I guess, yet to believe that it's not going to happen. Although I would have probably said something about Thatcher Demko along those lines last year or two years ago as well, yeah. and he took That's a bit of a step back. Thing. But yeah, right. um, yeah, the list is short, and I think part of it is right. You're completely right. There are lack of confidence in the projectability of the position. But if you know that this guy is going to be that at that level or somewhere around that, as ev- as the everyone around him gets worse and less effective, that makes them more valuable. And so I completely yeah. agree with that. I do think we need to kind of put more emphasis on the elite goalies being much more valuable than we sort of lead on. Because we just generally sort of like throw our hands up in the air and go, oh, a complete random list. And then there's five or six guys where it's, it's not random that they're really good every year. So, yeah. And it's funny because I think, you know, we were talking about Florida, them giving Bobrovsky that contract feels like it scared everybody off of really investing in goaltending. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's uh, Hellebuck is the first one of the like handful of guys we just mentioned who's up soon. Um, And like, I think it's after next season, right? Uh, his, his like six and change deal ends. Yep. And, you know, how do you not give Hellebuck at least what nine million dollars, especially if the cap goes up significantly, you know, and he'll be the first goalie in a while to to warrant that kind of money. Like, obviously, I think we all thought the Bobrovsky thing was a long term overpay, but in the short term, I think we all kind of thought, oh, he should he could deliver on that, and then he didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do wonder about that, but yeah, I I think that I think that they're they're Again, six goalies maybe where it's like, yeah, break out the checkbook, whatever he wants. It's fine by me. Okay. Socialist hockey guy asks, would like to hear some pitches on who the bandwagon team this year should be for neutral fans. Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, it is a good question. It has to be, I think, between the devils sure i mean the devils are the most fun team although if you've been listening to the show you probably would have jumped on the bandwagon at the start of the year and so that's what i was gonna say less dirty about it yeah that that feels like it's almost not even a bandwagon at this point it's just everybody going yeah they're pretty cool yeah (laughs) it's just like oh jack hughes jesper brad and eagle his year i like these guys yeah Uh, yeah these guys are awesome it's kind of like jumping on the uh, on the avalanche like two years ago or whatever. Um, That's right. Maybe the oh man, 
Do I circle back to the Kings on this one? Yeah, but see, I think I think you should be training for the Oilers. Like yeah, this, no, I not I only totally... is is like think about the run McDavid was on last year, right? Like that was not only so cool, but very important for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um but also they should be rewarded for doing smart stuff that actually made the team better now. Like if, yeah. if it was purely a power play thing and I was still like, oh man, they're like 47% expected goal share team at five on five. This is all a joke. I wouldn't be singing that tune, but I think in this case, it's like, there's actually a lot of smart things to root for as well. So I don't know, but yeah, maybe whoever wins that series, that should be your, uh, the team you're cheering for in the West. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess I guess I'll do a, a preemptive plug right now. Um, mm-hmm. On Saturday, I will be publishing. Um, I did bas- basically. They were like, "What do you got for us for like a, a fun way to look at the the you know like preview the playoffs a little bit?" And I said, uh, "What if it's like it would?" My idea was it would be cool if these guys won. That mm-hmm. that will be the pitch, like ranking those teams one through six. Well, that's literally what this question is. Yeah, no. So uh, my answer for that, again, like, I just don't know if this is like a bandwagon thing just because like they're a really good team and they've been recognized as such for like most of the year is mm-hmm. the Dallas Stars. Uh, not to give away uh, the article, but like, I-, I love this Dallas Stars team. I think they're so cool. Yeah. You know, um, they got a cut. They got a couple of the classic old guy without a cup. Um. And and they got Jake Ottinger who who we love and and Heiskanen and and Robertson so like there there's just a lot there for us to yeah exactly um, and the other thing is you know everybody what's the knock on Pete DeBoer well he gets he gets really close to winning the cup in the first year and then he doesn't do anything close to that ever again wouldn't it be nice for DeBoer to win the cup finally yeah that would be cool so I I, I guess I guess my answer is Dallas. Um, but again, like, is that bandwagon to say like, oh, one of the best teams in the in the league? Uh, you should root for them to win the Stanley Cup. Well, I, don't I don't, I don't think they're, I don't think they're ne- not necessarily thought of that way though. Even though that's kind of what the standings would reflect, I still, yeah. I don't think necessarily people have caught on to that. But if you, especially if you look a little bit under the hood, like they've been winning a lot of games this year very handily. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're even smacking teams around, and and so I would love it if they weren't playing Ryan Suter on the top pair. For some reason um sure. but yeah I, I like that all and the best part of that i think on the, on the pizza burn note would be he has the exact same facial expression at all times regardless of what's happening and it's kind of one of mild concern it's like someone messing <laughs> up messing up his starbucks order or someone taking his drink and him thinking it might be his and so yeah. even if they won the cup i'm sure the camera would pan over and he would have that exact same look on his face so yeah. that would be a a nice note of unintentional comedy on his part. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's a really good pick. Um, okay, one final question here. Got it. Nicholas asks, do you think, and if so, in what way did Brent Burns' exit from San Jose affect Carlson's epic season? Now, I I don't really want to do a whole Eric Carlson thing here. We've done it many times. Um, clearly the circumstances helped him for both good for, I guess, like open the door for this. And also there were some drawbacks that affected it as well. I think the way I read this initially though, was how, you know, they, they retained money and basically gave Burns to Carolina this season. Right. And then Burns Mm -hmm. has this awesome season playing with Jacob Slavin on the top air and revitalizes his career after a few down years. 
the fact that they're retaining on him now and then that happened, I do think is kind of playing a part in why they seem to be drawing this really aggressive line in the sand of like how much money they're willing to retain on Carlson in any trade they make and why it didn't happen at this year's deadline. I do think that's kind of part of this. Yeah. Um, the, th- the thing that like just jumps off the page for you, if you, you know, watch the sharks, uh, a lot this year is, is that like he got, started getting way more power play time and became more of a focal point on the power play. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's literally it. Like, well, he does everything for them. Yeah, no, for sure. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. and that wasn't the case. The, you know, the, the previous plan with Brent Burns as the, uh, as the trigger man or whatever you want to say on the, uh, uh on the Sharks power play is, uh, get, give it to him. He's going to shoot it really hard. You know, um, yeah. he has, it says here, 26 points on the power play this season. Last year he had 10. And no goals, so that that I think that probably has a huge amount to do with it, honestly. Well, and and on the one hand, like the fact that he clearly um, is just like trying to create everything and taking chances because the team sucks. It doesn't matter. He has to do it, however you want to frame sure. it, is helping with some of the point totals, right? Like he's he's not even trying at times to defend and that's allowing him to be in situations where he can maybe put, like push the envelope a little bit to create more offensively. Of course. But at the same at the same time though, I have a hard time believing that pretty much any other player like maybe Kale McCarr, any other defenseman you could put in this position and he could lead the league in even strength scoring or 5 on 5 points or whatever he leads in and have 100 plus points from this position with this cast of characters around him. Yeah. Like people mm-hmm. are making it be like, oh, well, you could put any defenseman in this spot. And if they don't have to worry about defending and going back on D and exerting energy there, they could do this. It's like, I don't think they could. I think what, no, I totally look at the way agree. he's created some of these, it's like him drawing attention from four guys on the other team and then hitting some fourth liner for a t- easy tap in. And it's like, that's pretty cool, regardless of what he's doing on the other end. Yeah. So, uh, how about this? Uh, he, this season, he set a career high in assist per assists per 60 at five on five this is a guy who uh won what two norrises before and was like seen as oh this is like an all offense defenseman yeah he doubled his uh five on five assists per 60 from last season doubled it unreal yeah yeah he rocks he's so cool definitely does all right rl um this is a blast i'll let you plug some stuff let the listeners know where they can check you out and where they can uh where they can find that piece that you talked about in terms of a uh, rooting interest for the playoffs. Uh, yeah. EPRingside.com. Uh, you know, got a lot of good stuff going on over there is Dimitri will, will definitely tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also uh, my podcast is puck soup. If you want to listen to that, uh, great. And if you don't, uh, I don't really want to hear about it. Awesome, man. Yeah, I will have some playoff previews as well on EPRing side, and we'll be covering the full postseason there extensively. So if you uh, haven't hopped on board yet, highly recommend doing that. Uh, smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the show to help us out. And we'll be back with more of the Hockey PDO cast. So thank you for listening to us here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.